Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Pursuit! Pursuit. A criminal strikes and fades quickly back into the shadows of his dark world. And then, the man from Scotland Yard. The relentless, dangerous pursuit. When man hunts man. Now, with Ted DeCorsia starred as the famous Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard, we bring you tonight's story of violence and murder. The Pursuit on Lundy Island. Slippery, sir. Mind your step. Thank you, Inspector. All right, Captain. We're ready to go. Cast off all lines. Oh, we may as well go into cabin, sir. Hour and a half run to Lundy. Right you are. Lundy, stand by with a boat hook. Keep me clear of the pilings. Aye, aye, sir. Bit of luck tonight. Dark, but... Fog's lifted for a moment. Yes, great. Oh, I say, Flower you. I'm afraid I'll have to catch some fags from you. I seem to have left mine at the end. I'd gone to a favorite inn of mine near Clovelly on the northern coast of Devonshire for a weekend holiday. Even a Scotland Yard man must rest. But unfortunately, the criminal doesn't take that into consideration. The body of a woman had been washed ashore on the island of Lundy. Inspector Reginald Flowerdew of the Barnstable Constabulary, knowing that I was in the vicinity, had phoned for assistance and picked me up. We drove to Biddeford and there boarded a motor launch, which was soon churning through the dark waters of Bristol Channel, bound for the island of Lundy. At 10 p.m., approximately four hours after the body had been discovered, we sighted the warning light on the high crags overlooking the quiet village. Of course, uh, it's every man to his choice, but I prefer heavier tackle. I still say it depends on the fish. My dear fellow, you might as well use a converted billiard cue for a salmon. <laughs> well, sir, <laughs> you do have a point there. Can you see something off the shore there? I'm not sure, Hello, sir. something up. Ah, I see it. A small vessel. No lights. She's making no headway, sir. Inspector Flowerdew. Yes. Would you and the chief inspector come on deck? Right on. Hey, bloody hard. Drifting with no lights. Ahoy, the boat! Ahoy there! Perhaps we'd better have a look, Captain. Guess it fool's probably asleep below.
Captain, let's have a look. Hey. Dundee, get me a torch. All right. Yeah, right. Take the wheel. Keep her stirring in. Right, well, nothing above decks. Shall we try the cabin? Seems to be stuck. Well, I'll be blowed. Empty. No sign of anything. Everything ship shaped. Send me a torch, Captain, eh? We're here yet. Thank you. Hmm. Albatross. Registered in the name of Daryl Sinfield. Home port Penzance. Come along. I want to have a better look on deck. Wonder if the murdered woman on Lundy could have come from this boat. Possibly, sir. Oh, wait a minute. Yes. Quite possibly. Look here. Blood, hmm? Don't you think? Yes, quite. And by the wheel. The injured person stood at the controls for some time. How far offshore are we, Captain? Oh, I judge about a mile and a half. Hmm, queer. I suggest we take her in tow. If you'll send one of the crew to take the wheel, I think I should like to stay aboard. Aboard the derelict, I noted the following points. The anchor was in place at the bow. The engine cold but in working order. The fuel tank was half-filled. In the mahogany paneling near the wheel was a deep gouge which might have been caused by a bullet. And on closer scrutiny of the cabin, I discovered more traces of blood there. Bloody footprints. We were met at the landing by a gnarled and rather foul old fisherman whom I learned had elected himself island constable. <laughs> About time. Are you the copper from Barnstable? Police Inspector Flower, you. This is Chief Detective Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard. Ah, I'll be bladdered. You mean you brought Scotland Yard all the way from London for one poor scuttered female? <laughs> My name is William Blee. How do you do, sir? <coughs> yes, quite. Uh, the dead woman, where was she found? Uh, Found her myself down to Grouper Cove. I was fishing. In your telephone message, you mentioned foul play. Aye, foulish. Do you know who she is? Aye. <coughs> well? Uh, she's lying in the shed on some nets. Covered her with a tarp. Come. A surfish day. The rocks didn't do her face any good. You were saying, Mr. Blee, that you knew who she was. Aye, 
first I thought it was the Sinfield woman. Ah, uh, Sinfield? Uh, but it ain't. Tis a companion. Maggie Pratt. Sinfield. That would be Mr. Darrell Sinfield? Aye. He owns the Albatross? Aye. Do you know where he is? Aye. Mr. Blee, I'm delighted to have you assist us. But I'd be most grateful if you would be a little more literal and a little less monosyllabic. Yeah. That's a blabberish mouthful. <laughs> All right. He's fishing. He went off in his other boat, the turn. Hello. Inspector. What is it? Looks like bullet wound in the head. Point of entrance here. Exit here. Yes. Mr. Blee, uh, is Mrs. Sinfield on the island? Aye, she is. She's out at the cottage with that keel-flagging Irishman of hers, Kyle. Has she been notified of the death? Aye. She got vaporish, and the Irishman's taking care of her. I'll want you to take me out there. Aye, aye. It is a short walk, though mayhap not for a cityish man. I'm sure I can manage with your help. <laughs> uh, Flower Jewel, we'll want to get the body back to the mainland. I'd like an autopsy as soon as possible and laboratory tests of the blood stain. Right you are, sir. I'll take it myself if you want to carry on here. Good show. Oh, by the way, would you send a message through to the yard for me? Yes, of course, sir. I'd like Detective Sergeant Moffat assigned to the case. Request that he catch the first plane, will you? Right you are, sir. And uh, now, Mr. Blee. Aye. I am at your service. Whilst he slotted His Majesty's language, William Blee managed to convey some rather interesting facts. Namely, that Mr. and Mrs. Sinfield had separated some two months before, and that she had not been on the island since that time, but had arrived by plane during the afternoon with the keel-flagged Irishman, Kyle. The Sinfield cottage turned out to be something more than a cottage. It rested on a knoll and commanded a view of the sea and a promontory that stretched out before it. <laughs> ah, there she be, Mr. Black, and I'll go no further. Oh? I'll have naught to do with that skirtish woman and that blister-bladdering Kyle. Yes, quite. Uh, but uh, I'll wait for you. Uh, while you're in there, I'll do some clamming for tomorrow's fishing. <laughs> Mr. Cahill? Yes? Inspector Black, Scotland Yard. Oh, oh, yes, yes, about Miss Pratt. Yes, of course. Won't you come in? Thank you very much. Come into the library, do. There's a fire there. Pamela, that is, Mrs. Sinfield, is terribly upset. Maggie's been with her four or five years. Yes, I understand. Who is this, the door of you? Oh. This is Inspector Black, my dear. Mrs. Sinfield, Inspector. How do you do? Madam. Is there any news of Jack? Jack, Mrs. Sinfield? Oh, yes, didn't you know? Jack Kettle. He's on the albatross with Maggie. I think you'd better tell me from the beginning. Well, no, perhaps you'd no, rather... No, you. Be... I'm all right. Oh. Mr. Cahill and I came over to the island this afternoon to talk to my husband. We had planned to cross in the albatross, but Jack found motor trouble, and so we flew. If we hadn't... Now, 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 please, Pamela, don't think about what might have been... Jack Kettle is a sailor of sorts, Inspector. He's been taking care of the albatross. 
Mrs. Sinfield told him to bring the boat over after repairs, and Maggie was to come with him. Maggie's always been with me. I can't stand it. We'd want to harm her. We found the boat, Mrs. Sinfield. The, the albatross? Yes. And Jack? The boat was adrift approximately a mile and a half offshore. It was empty. Empty? I'm truly sorry that I have to question you at this time, but it's terribly important to establish these details. Now, at what hour might you have expected them to arrive here? Well, no, it's, it's difficult to say, Inspector. It should depend upon the extent of the repairs. But they still should have got here before nightfall. We watched for them until it was too foggy to see anymore. I gather, Mrs. Sinfield, that your husband has not yet returned. Uh, no, I don't know where he can be. Have you any means of communication with the village? No, I'm afraid not. Uh, Mr. Cahill, I'd appreciate a notification as soon as Mr. Sinfield does return. Oh, yes, yes, of course, I'd be happy to. Uh, you're staying in the village? Yes, at the inn, I believe. Well, I think that's all. Good night, Mrs. Sinfield. Thank you, Inspector. I'll see you to the door, sir. Oh, thank you. Inspector, did, did you... Did you find absolutely nothing aboard the Albatross? I'm afraid not. Incredible. Well, what could have happened? That is what I intend to find out. Good night, sir. Good night. Well, Mr. B, finished your clamming? Nay, I never clammed. I thought to serve a better purpose by peeping through the window at that rancid pair. <laughs> you learned little, I'll be bound. Not quite. I noted there must have been a marked resemblance between the dead woman and Mrs. Sinfield. Aye, <laughs> I thought you would. The next morning, Moffat arrived by a special plane. And over a late breakfast of porridge and smoked roll, I brought him up to the mark on the case. Well, sir, rather messed up your holiday, I'd say. Well, I've known Inspector Flower Dew for quite some time. I couldn't very well let him down. More roll, Moffat. No, thank you, sir. I'm quite finished. Right, oh. <clears throat> I haven't heard from the Sinfield place. I think we'd better hop out there. Worried about the husband, sir? I'm not sure. This is a pretty place, sir. Yes, it is. I imagine fishing is quite good. I'd like to try my hand here, sir. Huh? Oh, Mr. Black! Oh, dear. William Blee, Moffat, the local something or other. Uh, what is it, Mr. Blee? Ah, scuttering wind. No good for fishing. Yorkish. Well, we've got another one. Another one, Mr. Blee? Aye, I was coming to fetch you. He just whisked ashore. The body of a man. Pursuit. 
With Ted DeCorsia starred as Inspector Peter Black, the pursuit on Lundy Island continues in just a moment. Gracie Allen has one of the sweetest dispositions in the world. But her sweetness and light get the acid test when a hit-and-run driver smashes up a fender on her beautiful jalopy tomorrow night. Acid test. There's plenty of acid when Gracie finds that husband George is probably the responsible party. So be listening when the Burns and Allen Show comes your way on most of these same CBS stations this Wednesday night. Mr. Chap from the Albatross, Jack Kettle? I'm afraid so, but come along. I'll make sure. The poor, sudden friend that had once been a man was identified Jack Kettle by papers in his pocket. He'd been shot twice, once through the left shoulder and then in the back. But here, the bullet had not passed through his body. Now we had something concrete with which to proceed. By the time I had arranged for removal of the body to the mainland so that the bullet could be recovered, another development had occurred. Darrell Sinfield had returned from his fishing trip and was waiting for me in the study of his house on the north. Yes, sit down, Inspector. Sit down. I hope you don't mind my receiving you in here, but since my... My dear wife is in the house. This is the one room where I may find privacy. My hunting and fishing room. I envy you, sir. You have a magnificent collection of rods and guns. Thank you. I take a great deal of pride in them. Yes, you must. Uh, Mr. Sinfield, I presume you've learned of the tragic events of the past few hours. Yes, my wife told me. Any word of the young sailor? I'm afraid so. He, too, had been shot. His body was recovered a short time ago. Lundy has been such a peaceful place. Mr. Sinfield, Mm. we discovered the boat Albatross unmanned and adrift about a mile and a half offshore last night. Did you at any time during your fishing trip sight her? I'm sorry. I was fishing over Five Mile Bank. That's off the southern tip of the island. Tell me, sir. Any luck? (laughs) I'm afraid not. It was rotten. I managed to muck up my boat with a few bloody mackerel and so on. Oh, shame. Well, I shall probably be calling on you again, sir. I hope you won't mind. Oh, no, no. Of course not. Uh, Inspector, I hope you'll understand if I don't show you to the door. As long as my wife is in this house with that man, uh, Carhill, I allow myself the indulgence of self-pity and prefer not to face either one of them. Yes, quite. Oh, um, one more point, sir. Do you keep the cabinet to your gun collection locked? No, I've never had any reason. I find Lundy folk are quite honest. Oh, that's a refreshing fact, sir. Good morning. Goodbye, sir. Oh, Inspector. Oh, there you are, Mrs. Sinfield. I was about to look for you. You and I just heard about poor Jack. Won't you come into the library, please? Of course. Oh, good morning, Inspector. This is shocking news. Have you progressed at all? Oh, this is a very odd affair. As a matter of fact, you can help me. 
I'm trying to establish a time element. Since you didn't know when the albatross left the mainland after her repairs, could you give me the name of the dockmaster? No, Hugh, it's no use. Inspector, the albatross wasn't in need of repair. We lied to you. Oh? Didn't seem important at the time. I still have my pride, and I... I didn't want anyone to know that I'd come to beg my husband to give me my freedom. When I told him yesterday that Hugh and I were coming over on the albatross to settle things once and for all, he said he'd be gone by the time we got here. He didn't want to see us. That's why we took the plane. We thought we could catch him unaware. Maggie and Jack Kettle were to pick us up in the albatross later. Mrs. Sinfield, is your husband in the habit of carrying a rifle aboard his boat? Why do you ask? When I talked to him, I noticed that one was missing from his gun cabin. I really couldn't be sure. I know he practices a great deal. He's a wonderful marksman. Good heavens, you don't suspect. My dear Mrs. Sinfield, at this moment I have no alternative but to suspect everyone. Moffat and I wanted to look at Sinfield's fishing boat, the turn. We found her moored at his private landing at the inlet. We went aboard and made our discovery in the cabin. Well, Moffat, here it is. Ah, a 303, sir. Yes. One shell in the chamber and an empty clip, capacity five. That means he fired four, sir. And recently, from the smell of it... It doesn't make sense, Moffat. An innocent man might leave a rifle like this, but would a murderer... He might, sir. He did have a motive. A jealous husband planning to do away with his wife and her lover. We know he expected them on the albatross. He could have waited on his boat. It could show, Moffat. An expert marksman, say, 150 yards, close enough for accuracy, but distant enough to bring about a mistake in identity. You did mention a resemblance between the maid and Mrs. Sinfield. All right, you are. He shoots her first, she topples overboard, he never sees her again. Uh-huh. Then Kettle, first through the shoulder, then in the back. Uh-huh. He reaches the wheel and tries to swing out of range. A splendid reconstruction, if I do say so myself. There's only one thing wrong with it. Uh-huh. What's that, sir? Mr. Carhill and Mrs. Sinfield, we have only their word that they didn't see the albatross come into this inlet. Uh, Perhaps they did see it. They could have waited high on that cliff, armed with one of the husband's rifles. But why, sir, if they... My dear chap, so that we would do exactly what we have done. Build a most excellent case against Mr. Sinfield. The arrest of an unwanted husband would be a novel way of getting rid of him. Even to the extent of spending the lives of two innocent people? If such was their plan, yes. I left Moffat to further search Mr. Sinfield's fishing boat. A heavy afternoon mist had started to drift across the island, and I walked out on the high promontory that stretched like an accusing finger from the house on the north. There, at the edge of the cliff, I searched for traces of a hidden rifleman. Oh, it's oh. 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 a clamish day, Mr. Black. Mr. Blee. Uh, but no clams to be found. The tide is too high. I wasn't looking for clams, Mr. Blee. Oh, then you're looking for ways and means. Yes, Mr. Blee. I owe you an apology. I underestimated you. 
Are you looking for clams? Or are you looking for shells? That is a riddlish question, friend Black. It calls for a riddlish answer. The one is the both, and the both is the one. <laughs> yeah, but the weather is driveling again. Tell me, is it usually like this at this hour? Aye. You could set your watch by it this time of year. In other words, the fog comes over the island and moves out across the channel toward the mainland. Aye. Could it be foggy here in the inlet, but... A mile or so offshore remained clear as it was last night when I arrived? Aye, that's what it does every day. And tis a sad truth, for it'll bring deadness to a man. Yes, Mr. Blee, I think it will. The strange old fisherman accompanied me back to the cottage on the knoll and left me at the front door. Inspector Flowerdew had returned from the mainland with complete autopsy, ballistics, and laboratory reports. Moffat had gathered the suspects together in the library. You have forced me into a very uh, unpleasant situation, Inspector. To be in the presence of this man... This woman, whom I no longer consider my wife. You think it's any more pleasant for us? Please, please, darling. I'm sorry for you all. But murder is an unpleasant business and needs to be disposed of as quickly as possible. If you're prepared to do that, why are Pamela and I forced to witness it? For very good reason, Mr. Cahill. We have proof of innocence, which in this case establishes proof of guilt. You're being devious. Come to the point. Very well, Mr. Sinfield, I shall. Your wife and Mr. Carhill came here and awaited the arrival of the albatross. Mr. Carhill, do you consider yourself accurate with a rifle? Uh, of course he is. He's a fine shot. Mr. Carhill, could you hit a man at 300 yards? Now, now look here. I don't know what you're trying to do, but I... You I, see, I... Mr. Sinfield, they did have opportunity, but they also had fog. Fog that made it impossible to see even 30 feet. Are you suggesting that their supposed innocence makes me guilty? Exactly, sir. We found a rifle on your boat. It had been fired. Of course it had. I shot a basking shark while I was fishing. I often do. A great ugly brute shy the fish away. That would be most difficult to prove. I suppose you will also deny that you were aboard the albatross after you shot both of its passengers. I shall? Quite so. How do you account for the blood stains we found on your fishing boat? Quite easily. Have you never caught mackerel, sir? They bleed like pigs. Exactly. And we found traces of that mackerel blood aboard the albatross. Ah, Tommy Rod, it proves nothing. Very well. According to the autopsy report, your shots were not alone responsible for Kettle's death. He jumped from the albatross and drowned. Why would he do that? How should I know? He jumped from the boat because you were pursuing him. When you failed to find him on deck, you went into the cabin, leaving further traces on the floor. I repeat, you have no proof. It's all guesswork. You're trying to bluff. This bullet, sir, is scarcely bluff. It was recovered from the man's body and has been traced to your rifle. Well, Mr. Sinfield, I think that's all. Yes. Yes, that's all. This time I'll do the job properly. <laughs> Daryl Sinfield's clutching fingers never reached his wife's throat. 
but they spoke his guilt much more eloquently than all of the evidence amassed against him. Pursuit. And the pursuit is ended. Pursuit is produced by Elliot Lewis. The script is written by Anthony Ellis and Gil Dowd, who directed tonight's show. Music was composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Featured in the cast were Raymond Lawrence, Joseph Kearns, Dan O'Herlihy, Bill Johnstone, John Daner, Peggy Weber, and Ramsey Hill. Pursuit. Next week, Pursuit will bring you another dramatic story of the man from Scotland Yard, relentlessly hunting down those whose disordered passions breed violence and murder. With Ted DeCorsia starring as Inspector Peter Black, next week we will present another story of man hunting man when we bring you Pursuit. This week, the Boy Scouts of America are celebrating their 40th anniversary. During those four decades, nearly 20% of the country's male population has been identified with the scouting movement, whose aims are to develop physical fitness, build strong character, and train for good citizenship. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are every Wednesday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Pursuit. Pursuit. A criminal strikes and fades quickly back into the shadows of his dark world. And then, the man from Scotland Yard. The dangerous, relentless pursuit. When man hunts man. Now, with Ted DeCorsia starred as the famous Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard, we bring you tonight's story of violence and murder, The Pursuit of the Firebird. In crime fiction, coincidence seems to be the most popular motivating force when launching the heroic investigator into his usually ludicrous and often utterly fantastic involvements. As a man from Scotland Yard, I sometimes envy these supermen of the printed page 
both for their amazing intuition and for their irresistible attraction to the opposite sex, especially the latter. However, it was pure coincidence that launched me to the pursuit of the Firebird, and I had neither intuition nor the embraces of a beautiful woman to aid me, simply the square-toed efficiency of Detective Sergeant Moffat. Very well, sir. Very well, I shall hold it for you. Uh, when will you return? Tomorrow afternoon. Uh, thank you. Oh, Chief Inspector Black. Fancy meeting you here. More to the point, Mr. Baxter. Fancy meeting you here. I wasn't aware that you counted music among your uh, varied interests. Why not? You'll change your attitude toward private detectives one of these days. We do a lot of good for the private citizen. Well, ta-ta, Inspector. How nice to see you, Inspector. Good evening. How are you, Mr. Quill? I'd like a copy of the Firebird Suite if you have it. Oh, what a shame. There's just one copy, and I'm saving for the gentleman who just left. And one. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, that's a pity. It's Mrs. Moffat's birthday. I'm going there for supper. I wanted to give it to her. Oh, look here. I'm sure I can get another before tomorrow afternoon. He won't be in until then. Well, that's very kind of you, Mr. Quayle. I'm ever so much obliged. I'll wrap it as a present for you. Uh, how is Mr. Moffat? <laughs> as ever, Mr. Quayle. Moffat. Uh, just a moment, sir. Uh, please give him my regards and his dear lady. You wish me to bill you? Uh, please. Of course. Here you are. Thank you, Mr. Quill. Uh, now, sir, uh, what can I do for you? Oh, a, a gentleman came in a few moments ago, a, a friend of mine. I was wondering about his musical taste for a suitable present. I noticed it was rather a lovely evening as I made my way to the tube station with Mrs. Moffat's birthday present tucked under my arm. The Moffats lived in a comfortable, solid house in Maida Vale. I always enjoyed my all-too-infrequent visits there. The sergeant's wife, a placid, happy soul, and the sergeant. Not the Moffat of Scotland Yard, but the Moffat of slippers and pipe of coal scuttle and fireplace. But my pleasant musings were marred by one fact. From the moment I left the record shop, I had been followed by the private detective Baxter almost to the door of Moffat's home. Inspector, I'm so glad. Mrs. Moffat, many happy returns. Oh, record. You're a member. <laughs> oh, you really shouldn't, you know. I'm much too old. Nonsense, my dear. Just for that, Inspector, I shall tell you what we are going to have for no, supper. No, 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 let me guess. Uh, uh, veal and pork pie. <laughs> oh, you detective. <laughs> Moffat? Moffat? The inspector's here. Oh, hello, sir. I'll be there, Jiffy. Right on. Please make yourself comfortable. Here, your favorite chair. Huh. Uh. May I open it now? Uh, yes, yes, of course. Firebird. How wonderful. I'll put it on while I'm finishing supper. Well, sir, and what'll you have? Uh, nothing, uh, nothing, thanks, Muffet. Uh, I received a new fishing tackle catalogue by post this morning, sir. Perhaps uh -huh. you'd like to have a look. Uh, what is it, sir? Muffet. You remember a private detective, Baxter? What a dirty little mucker. I thought he'd been sent to Wandsworth long ago. He followed me from Mr. Quayle's record shop. 
all the way here, sir. Yes, yes. Another run. Be a good chap and have a look out the window, will you? There's somebody there, sir. About 50 feet down the street. Hmm. Records shop. Records. Baxter. And the Firebird. He was going to buy this album. Inspector wants to see something. Anything wrong? No, dear. No. I'll be hanged. This one's a dud, no label. It looks like one of those, what the devil do they call them, transcription records. Uh, private recording, you know. Oh, what a shame. Oh, I'm frightfully sorry, Mrs. Moffat. I say, do you think you can play it, Moffat? I'm not sure, sir, but uh, I'll try. There she goes, sir. <laughs> Doesn't seem to have anything on it, sir. Oh. Listen. Now, look here, this isn't doing any good. Are you going to clear out or shall I? Neither one of us will. Both wait for her. Make me a drink. Well, sir. Oh, it seems to have cut off. Let it run on. There may be more. Whatever can it be? Terribly well played, don't you think? It's not a play, Mrs. Moffat. You really think there's something to it? Now, oh, here. Gilbert, you can't see the lady waiting outside. Ask her to come in. Or shall I? 
Not I, Muffet. You can't believe it. It couldn't be. Ah, oh, yes, Mrs. Muffet, it could. When did it happen? And where, sir? I'm terribly sorry, Mrs. Muffet. I'm afraid I shan't be able to share your birthday party. Poor dear. It's a shame you don't get a moment's peace. I'll take this album and get another for you tomorrow. I promise you that next time nothing will interrupt my visit. Oh, go on, Inspector. I bet you did it on purpose. You've probably got an appointment with a pretty blonde. <coughs> Mrs. Moffat, tonight you are the only woman in my life. Moffat, why don't you say things like that to me? Oh, I don't have to. I'm married to you, old girl. Oh, you're terrible. No need for you to come out, Moffat. I can manage him alone. I don't see him, sir. Oh, probably waiting for me down at the corner. Fog's coming in. Uh, better phone the yard. Have them send a car out. Mr. Baxter is so interested in these records. We'll see what he has to say about them at the yard. Right, sir. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, Marvin. Good night, sir. The fog began to swirl around the light from a solitary lamppost as I searched the street for the private detective. Then I saw him. Baxter was lying across the pavement with his head lolling over the curbing. I bent over him. He was dead. Who is it? That you, Moffat? Oh. He cracks her. Oh. A patrol car found you and the dead man. They brought you inside. Oh, my head. I'm a blasted idiot, Moffat. Whoever it was got the record. Oh, don't worry about that now, sir. We'll take care of your head first. All right, Moffat. All right. Next morning, in a foul mood and with a crashing headache, I went to Scotland Yard and put through a query on the deceased Baxter. I wanted information on his files, if any. Then, with Moffat, I returned to the record shop of Mr. Quill on Wigmore Street. Uh, Mr. Quayle, concerning the firebird you sold me last evening. Extraordinary performance, don't you think? Yes, particularly the last record. Ah, yes, beautiful. Uh, Mr. Quayle, that record was not in the album. Oh? Oh, yes, of course. How could I have forgotten? I tried to catch you after you left. The uh, Mr. Baxter who had bought the album left the last record in the playing booth. Uh, here we are. I'm terribly some customers are so faultless. Another man came in while I was here. Had you ever seen him before? Another man? Oh, no. No, no, no. He didn't buy anything. He went out again. Yes, I remember. That's right. Uh, you are quite sure that both men were strangers to you? Oh, yes. Quite sure. Trenchants, don't you know? Well, if either comes in again, I'd be obliged if you'd call me at the yard. Of course. Thank you. Hey, Inspector, you forgot the record. I'll come back for it, Mr. Crayon. Oh, very good. Good morning. 
Hmm. You think he knows more than he's saying, sir? I can't believe that he does. Moffat, I've known him for some time. Oh, Baxter could have told us. Or if only we had that record. It kept me awake last night, sir. How many times did the clock strike in the beginning? I said it was nine, and Mrs. Moffat insisted it was ten. Mm, no, it was ten, Moffat, I think. And there was a train pulling out. We heard that. Oh, that's right, sir. Yes. But from where? There was no town mentioned, or was there? No. Somebody, I, I think it was the woman, spoke of Paddington Station. Paddington. Yes, she'd hired a detective who followed her husband to Paddington. Yeah. Paddington Station. Hmm? Come on, we're going down there. In just a few moments, we'll bring you the second act of Pursuit with Peter Black, the man from Scotland Yard. But first, a brief word of interest to all of us. Freedom of information is one of our most precious guarantees. And if we don't take advantage of it, well, it's like letting a tasty apple go to rot right in front of your eyes. For in a democracy like ours, the more the people know, the stronger our democracy is. As a serviceman and as a citizen, you have an obligation to your country to know the score and an obligation to yourself, too. It's easy and pleasant to fulfill that obligation. Get the facts, the complete information by reading newspapers, magazines, books, and listening to your radio. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Information is more important to you now than ever before. Remember... The more you know, the higher you go. It's as simple as that. And now we return you to Pursuit and Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard. Where are you, Future? Scotland Yard. Um, we are trying to ascertain the point of arrival of a particular train. Oh, very well, sir. Uh, what time does it leave here, sir? Uh, yes. Uh, that we don't know, but it arrives at 10 p.m. Oh, sir. But where? There's a great many trains that arrive at 10 p.m. somewhere. Yes. Uh, wait a moment. Uh, Moffat, a departure time was mentioned on the record... Instead of going to the club on Friday evenings, the husband came to Paddington and caught the... What time was it, Mark? I can't remember, sir. The husband was followed by a detective, came to Paddington and caught the... 8.25. Yes, that's it, sir. Right. Now, sir, what trains leave here on Friday night at 8.25? Friday night, sir. Just a moment, sir. (laughs) Friday night... 825. Here we are. Uh, Paddington, High Wycombe. Leave Paddington at 825. Arrive, High Wycombe, uh, 956. High Wycombe? That, that sounds like it, sir. No, no, Moffat. The, the husband left at 825, but he and his wife were already in the house when the other woman arrived at 10 o'clock. That was the train we heard. Yes, yes. But we are getting somewhere. Uh, what are the stops on the way to High Wycombe? Uh, stops, sir. Uh... On the 825 train, sir? Well, none. Oh. Well, that's out, then. Uh, Mr. Moore, uh, here's another 825, sir. Huh? 
Uh, leaves uh, Paddington for Reading. Are there any other trains that leave later and make ten o'clock stops on that route? In the clock. Uh, just a second. Uh, here's one. Uh, leaves at uh, 9.15. Arrives at Windsor and Eaton at uh, 10. Good show. And uh, another leaving at 9.25. Arrives at Twyford at uh, 10.02. Oh, that's only to sit down. Good. Uh, that, that's a lot, sir. You're absolutely positive. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, Friday night. Yeah, it is. May I have the schedule, please? Yes, certainly, sir. Thank you. Well, Muffet, Windsor and Eaton or Twyford? Oh, it's something, sir. You know, Sergeant, my headache is beginning to disappear. The pursuit had a nightmarish quality. The investigation of the private detective led us nowhere. He had numerous enemies, it could be assumed, but no files in his dilapidated office. So, up to this point... We had nothing to follow but the elusive sounds and voices on a recording that we had heard only once. We didn't know who the principals were, and we didn't know when the incident had taken place. But we were a little closer to knowing where it had occurred. Moffat and I spent a day questioning railway personnel and housebrokers at Windsor and Eaton. When we had finished, the results were negative. We didn't know whether this proved failure or progress. And so the following morning we moved on to Twyford and by early afternoon we found ourselves still with no answers. We left the station master apologetically shrugging his shoulders and walked slowly up the high street. I don't know, sir. You'd think that in a way station like this somebody would remember a young woman who got off a through train every Friday night. Yes, I know. Well... There's only one housebroker here. We'll just have to trust the luck. Uh, must be at the end of the road, sir. The station master told me it was number 318. This is uh, 162. Might you on. Uh, look here, Moffat. Assuming that the case is as we discussed it, does this make sense? The woman hires the detective Baxter to follow and obtain evidence against her husband. She learns from his reports that, under an assumed name, he let a cottage. The tag then installs a recording apparatus in order to substantiate evidence. Then why did the wife come there herself? Possibly to confront him with the girl. Ah. At any rate, when the scene ended in violence, the record was used by the tech as a blackmail device. And you stumbled into it, sir, when you bought that album of the Firebird to Mrs. Moffin, eh? So it seems. Mm. But who died in that room? The wife, Grace, or Daphne, the eternal other woman? Well, it sounds right, sir. Yes, and so do those bells, Moffat. Hear them? Ever since we first heard them this morning, I'll swear they're the same as those on the record. Well, I've not much of an ear for it, sir. I hope you're right. Oh, oh, there it is. Passworthy and Hammerfish, housebrokers. Good day, gentlemen. And good afternoon, um, Mr. Passworthy. Oh, no, I'm Hammerfish. Mr. Passworthy died 15 years ago. He was a senior partner of the firm. Ah. I'm Chief Inspector Black of Scotland Yard. How do you do? Um, Mr. Hammerfish, uh, we're trying to locate a gentleman by the name of Harold Smith, whom I have reason to believe led a cottage in Twyford, uh, possibly from you, sir. Smith? Very mm, little difficult, that, sir. Uh, can you tell me when? Well, as a matter of fact, I can't. Uh, you are the only housebroker in the village, are you not? Oh, yes. But then, if he has been renting, he would deal with you. Uh, definitely, sir. You don't know where the cottage is? No. 
But you know that it is here in Twelford. I, I think so, Mr. Hammerfish. Uh, you have quite a problem, have you not, Inspector? Yes, rather. I'm afraid it's another town, sir. There's absolutely no one by the name of Harold Smith letting a cottage through my house. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Hammerfish. I'm sorry to have troubled you. I wish you luck, gentlemen. Thank you. Martin. Yes, sir? When do you think the shooting took place? Oh, I don't know, sir. Two weeks ago, possibly three. Why? Why do you think that? And why have I? Well, I really couldn't say, sir. Of course you couldn't. Because it's psychologically right for us to think that. All the actual events, the man who followed me, the attack, the murder of Baxter, they've all been recent. Therefore, we have assumed that the recorded events took place recently. But suppose they didn't, Moffat. Suppose they took place a year ago, two years, three, even more. Why, Gumser, that hadn't occurred to me. Hmm. Well, let's return to Mr. Hammerfish. Possibly his files will refresh his memory. they did. Ten minutes later, a page, filled with the Spencerian scrawl of Mr. Hammerfish, told us that Harold Smith had engaged a cottage on Millbridge Road in June of the year 1945. We followed the history of the cottage, and as we did so, the path of pursuit unwound and straightened into its inevitable course. Now, Inspector, here we are. As I told you, I had never seen Mr. Smith. All our business was done by post. In uh, October of 1945, he notified me, uh, here's the letter, uh, that a sudden change of plan necessitated his leaving the cottage. He paid me for a month. After that, sir? Rather unusual, I'd forgotten. Two days later, a Mr. Amberley came here and asked to purchase the same cottage. He insisted that he could be satisfied with no other. Amberley? Yes. Um, uh, Gilbert C. Amberley. Muffet! Gilbert! Gilbert, the voice on the record that finally came to life. Moffat and I left Twyford by the first train. And an hour and fifteen minutes later, we're in the yard. We consulted the files of missing persons for the year 1945. And then, when we had found what we sought, our case was all but complete. We were now ready to go to the address given to us by Mr. Hammerfish. Yes? Mrs. Amberley? Yes? Inspector Black of Scotland Yard. This is Sergeant Moffat. May we come in? Please do. Did you want to see my husband? If you don't mind. Not at all. You follow me. Thank you. Gilbert? Oh, yes, my dear. These gentlemen are from Scotland Yard. Inspector Black and Sergeant Moffat. Oh? Well, uh, won't you sit down? Thank you, Mr. Amberley. <laughs> I, I, uh... Must say that no good reason. I, I feel guilty. Does a visit from the police always inspire such a reaction? I've really had no contact with you, chaps. Then you've been extremely fortunate, sir, up to now. What do you mean? Five years ago, a girl was reported to the yard by a friend as missing. Her name was Daphne Lane. 
She has never been found. Oh? Uh, Grace, perhaps the gentleman would like some tea. No, thank you, sir. To continue. Miss Lane was known to have visited a cottage in Millbridge Road at Twyford, which was let in the name of Harold Smith. That was you, sir. Nonsense. I, I own a cottage there, but Smith... It's nonsense. Do you also deny, sir, that three days ago at approximately half past five, you were in a gramophone shop on Wigmore Street? I... Yes, I do. Very well. And also that you followed a man by the name of Baxter to Maida Vale? Why the devil should I follow anyone? Because, sir, you knew that Baxter was in possession of a record that has been very important to you during the past five years. And that by mere chance, the record found its way into my hands. Record? I submit these facts to you, sir. That on a certain night in October 1945, either you or Mrs. Amberley shot to death the woman Daphne Lane in the cottage at Twyford. That the recording, taken by a detective Baxter, hired by your wife, has been used as a weapon of blackmail against you. That three nights ago, after following Baxter, you killed him and then took the incriminating record from me. Facts? You call these facts? Why, they're theories. And since they do not concern me, I must ask you to leave. Very well, Mr. Amberley. But when I do, I'm going back to the cottage at Twyford. And I shall tear up every inch of ground and cellar. Because I'm convinced that you didn't purchase the place for sheer sentiment's sake. And I am sure you know what I'm going to find. Grace, no, stop it. And if she doesn't stop it, Mr. Amberley, will you shoot her? No, no, no. Don't, please. Five years dreaming of it and living it every hour of the day. I can't help it, Gilbert. I want it to be finished. I'm glad it is. Well, Mr. Amberley? Oh, oh, it's true. And I admit my part in it. My loyalties were to my wife, not to that poor girl. I wanted to protect Grace. In order to do so, I... I had to kill Baxter. You were a little late, sir, in realizing those loyalties. It's funny you should say that, Inspector. You see, it's only been during these frightened years we found a closeness and even happiness we'd never known before. Oh, Grace. Oh, my dear. <laughs> And so a husband and wife who had been drawn together by murder spent their last few moments before their formal arrest. An arrest which would part them forever. Pursuit. And the pursuit is ended. Pursuit is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis and written by Gil Dowd and Anthony Ellis. Music was arranged and conducted by Marlon Skiles. Featured in the cast were Raymond Lawrence, Doris Lloyd, Peggy Weber, Joseph Kearns, Lou Krugman, and Bill Johnstone. Pursuit. You've been listening to Pursuit, 
dynamic tales from the files of the man from Scotland Yard, wherein man hunts man. Pursuit is a regular presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.